This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And today we're talking about soda. Or is it pop? Or soda pop? Or Coke? Or a soft drink? Huh. Or tonic. Ha ha. I don't know. It's carbonated water. Yeah. It's pretty much all of the above, I suppose. Uh, sure. It encompasses non-alcoholic, usually carbonated, usually artificially or naturally flavored beverages. Another thing that most soda contains is edible acids. As opposed to inedible acids. I which know. it's good that they don't contain. Right. Yes. Very good. The name or names were to differentiate soda from juice and also from Alcohol. There are so many types of soda around the world. Made the soybean, carob, cane juice, buffalo cheese-based whey. What? Mate. Send in your favorite listeners. Send us your, all of your soda, your pop, your, oh, <laughs> a Statue of Liberty joke. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. But wait. Well, what? What's carbonation? Oh, the simple answer is that it's carbon dioxide kept dissolved in water. But there are some scare quotes around simple. Mm-hmm. That's because carbon dioxide has basically no interest whatsoever in getting itself permanently mixed up with water. Like little bits of carbon dioxide will dissolve into water, but the water molecules can't hold on to it. Most of the gas just floats on top of the liquid. To convince it to stay put, you have to apply pressure. 
Uh-huh. Not like a deadline or something, a physical pressure. Oh. Uh, th- this big squeeze forms sort of cages of water molecules around carbon dioxide molecules, holding them in place. It helps a lot if you do so at cold temperatures, where all the molecules involved are less active and more willing to pack it in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think of it like a busy elevator, okay? If the AC is out, you might be less willing to crunch a whole lot of people in there. As temperature increases, pressure also increases. Uh, If you dissolve carbon dioxide in water at cold temperatures, you need less pressure to do so. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. If you've done all of this right, your carbonated water will contain about five times as much carbon dioxide as water by volume. This is a supersaturated solution, meaning that as long as you keep it under pressure, you can let it heat up to room temperature or a little bit above without any gas escaping. Because you're, you've kind of temporarily changed the rules of physics for water as to how much it's willing to accept at, at a given temperature. Wow. Temporarily change the rules of physics. When you bottle carbonated water, it won't bubble much as long as you keep it contained under pressure because the water and carbon dioxide are at equilibrium and the surface tension of the water is sort of holding everything in. But if you release the pressure or increase the temperature too much, the gas will bubble out. That's what happens when you pop the lid on a soda bottle or leave a two liter of Coke in a hot car for too long. Oh, mistake. Oh, yeah. Another thing entirely is happening, though, when a can of soda explodes in your freezer. Water molecules have to be liquid in order to contain carbon dioxide. When those molecules start to freeze, they A, increase in size, and B, push the gas molecules out, which eventually will explode the can. Also not good. No. Uh, So so that's your your basic carbonated water physics. But hey. Hi. Hi. Why Why do we find this stuff so delightful? Is it the bubbliness? Yes. It is? It's yes. specific parts about the bubbliness. Oh, okay. So it's a combination of different things that the bubbles are doing. Uh, a combination of scent. You know, the bubbles will bring a draft of the beverage up to your nose. Mm-hmm. Plus sensation. The bubbles against the tongue and the mouth and in the nose. Plus the, the bite and flavor of a bit more acid than still water has. And that's because some of the carbon dioxide forms the compound carbonic acid as it interacts with water. But the really fun thing about this is that that acid formation, that that acidic bite, doesn't just happen on its own. Our tongues actually have cells that contain this enzyme that catalyzes the hydration of carbon dioxide. So when we drink sodas, our mouths are beakers in which this chemical reaction is happening. And the end result of that reaction is that some free protons are released, and those free protons trigger some of our sour-sensitive taste buds. Oh, that's such a fun way to think about drinking a soda water. Yeah. Uh, my mouth is now a, a beaker in this experiment. <laughs> yes. Very scientific. <laughs> Very. <laughs> uh, also, about the physical sensation... A research out of the University of Southern California indicates that carbon dioxide bubbles trigger specialized nerve cells in the nasal cavity, the same ones that register the burn of horseradish and mustard. It's a slight pain sensation. Uh-huh. So if you really love soda, you're a little bit of a masochist. Think about that, listeners. Hey. Look deep within yourself. But hey, when I said that we find this stuff delightful, we find it really delightful. We really do. The soft drink industry is massive, primarily dominated by Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, Inc. Coke alone has 500 brands, 17 of which 
make over a billion U.S. dollars a year each. Although not all of those are soft drinks necessarily. The average American guzzled 55 gallons a year in 2001. Mm-hmm. Both Coke and Pepsi have bottling operations locations in 120 countries. However, they have been experiencing something of a slump lately. Mm-hmm. For the first time, bottled water outsold soda in 2016 in the U.S., and sales have been steadily decreasing over the last 10 years. This has to do with several factors, many of them health-related, concerns about sugar and the FDA's investigation into the potential carcinogen caramel coating, obesity fears, soda taxes, the whole cavity dissolving your tooth thing, and more recently, the water crisis in Flint. One thing to note, though, is Pepsi and Coke do own most bottled water. Anyway, um, (laughs) what makes this especially interesting is that soda was originally seen as a health drink. Wow. (laughs) Which brings us to our history segment. But first, it brings us to a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Mm-hmm. Soda's history starts with mineral water found in natural springs. In ancient times, bubbling water fascinated people. For centuries, fizzing water was thought to alternately give strength and health or to house dangerous supernatural beings. In 400 BCE, Hippocrates believed mineral water could be a cure for disease. Uh, the reason that the mineral water naturally bubbles is because of the minerals that are dissolved in it. Underground, it's kept a little bit pressurized, and then as it bubbles up to the surface, it literally bubbles because of all those salts in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. And the idea that mineral water could fix things like gallstones and infections spread with the Roman Empire. In 216 BCE, Hannibal, the general, stopped at a natural <laughs> spring in France with his... Not the cannibal? I, well, okay. I thought I should specify. Okay, thank you. Thank yes. You. He stopped at a natural spring in France with his 37 war elements. War elements? That is a thing. War elephants. There you go. And 46,000 troops before heading to Italy to fight. These are the same waters Perrier comes from oh. to this day. Oh. Mm-hmm. Before Christianity became the way of the land in Scotland, couples might get married in the marriage well. The bubbly water was thought to endow good fortune. At the same time, in Georgia, the country, stone bathtubs were erected so locals could put effervescent spring water in them and enjoy a nice bubbly bath. A handful of scientists tried to pin down what was behind this fizzy water. In 1340, Italian physician Giacomo de Dondi looked into it with the intention of finding out the secret behind mineral water's curative powers. He concluded the residue left behind from evaporated mineral water was mineral salt. A couple of centuries later, in 1535 Switzerland, Theophrastus Paracelsus attempted to reverse engineer a man-made spring. He, too, believed that mineral water had medicinal value, and he went on to become a leader in the field of adding chemicals and minerals to medicine. And then in the 1600s, after doing a bunch of tests with gases and things like mineral water and fermented wine, scientist Jean-Baptiste Van Helmont discovered something he called spiritus sylvestris. Today, we know it as carbon dioxide. Ah. In 1676, the first soda, which was a mixture of water and honey-sweetened lemon juice, was sold by Paris-based Compagnie de Limonadier. Ha, limonadier, that's what it would be. They sold their product from tanks on the backs of vendors. Kind of love. Robert Boyle's 1684 publication of his studies on mineral water provided the first method to analyze all the chemical things that mineral water had going on. And then the next year, we start to see some challenges to the idea that mineral water was a curative. German professor of medicine Friedrich Hoffmann published an outline of what he'd gathered from his own studies on mineral water that essentially tore the whole premise apart and <laughs> anyone who believed it apart. Oh. Yeah. However, he did think the minerals in mineral water were worth looking into medicinally. Depending on the mineral, the water could purportedly heal different things. One high-end iron could be useful for upping your strength, for example. Oh, like, like early research into vitamins and minerals. Sure. Exactly. Nice. In the 1700s, we get several advances in science relevant to soda's history. Scientists figured out the gases in the air. They figured out how mixing chalk and acid resulted in carbon dioxide, or as it was called at the time, fixed air. This was the same stuff English physician William Brownrigg confirmed was in a famous spring in Germany. That spring was located in the town of Niederseltz, which 
may have led to the term Seltzer's water, and eventually the generic seltzer water. Ah. In France, Gabriel Vinal was able to produce aerated water in 1750, but he couldn't figure out a way around this kind of gross, salty residue it came with. So all of this culminated with Joseph Priestley's successful infusion of carbon dioxide into water in 1767, which he shared with explorer James Cook and James Cook's crew as a method for preventing scurvy. Which it didn't. No, but I bet it helped out with all those gin and tonics. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He got this gas from fermenting brewer's tanks, by the way, and in 1772, he suggested to London's College of Physicians that an air pump would produce even fizzier water. His his main contributions here were, were methods of dissolving the gas into the water using pressure. At the time, bottles of carbonated water were corked. And, of course, this was problematic because there was no way to store an open bottle without all the gas just escaping. Priestley also apparently discovered oxygen and pencil erasers. Very prolific fellow. And this brings us to one Jean-Jacob Schwepp, which you might recognize his name. After reading the work of Joseph Priestley, Schwepp brought one of Priestley's machines with the goal of improving it. And in 1783, with the addition of a compression pump to Priestley's system, he did. At first, Schwepp donated these waters to local medical practices, but they weren't comfortable accepting it for free. So he started to charge a small amount, and soon Schwepp's company in Geneva was born. At first, these bottles might have come torpedo-shaped and laid flat to keep the cork damp and prevent spillage. Uh, yeah, picture, picture a wine bottle that just doesn't have a base. It just tapers off like a, like a football. Yeah. It's or actually, a lemon. It's really weird. Yeah. I, I, I got a good chuckle out of it. Also in the 1780s. An Englishman by the name of Joseph Brahma worked out a manual process for continually filling and carbonating the contents of bottles. He was also a locksmith and invented the flush toilet. The type of glass that could withstand the pressure was still expensive, though. Uh, soda bottles wouldn't really become popular until the late 1800s, like a whole century later. Until then, pretty much the only way to get carbonated water commercially was via taps attached to pressurized canisters containing the carbonated water. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, all of the old world ideas about mineral water being this healthy, healing thing had also infiltrated America. By the early 1800s, Saratoga Springs, New York, had become a hotspot for rich health nuts to drink kind of gross mineral water. Thomas Jefferson wrote about it. I am not surprised at all that he did. In 1809, the first commercial soda fountain in the United States was opened by one Benjamin Silliman, a mineralogist and chemist from Yale. It was this hand pump set up at Tonine Coffee House in New York City. He manufactured the carbonated water in the basement, and it was piped up to the counter upstairs. And then the first patent for the means of mass manufacture of imitation mineral waters was issued in the U.S. in 1810, and the first soda fountain machine patented nine years later. In 1813, the first U.K. patent was filed for a portable valve-based soda dispensing fountain. The, the inventor mounted it on a horse-drawn cart and brought fizzy water throughout London. Ah, ooh. Other inventors improved on these mechanical designs, and by 1837, we had the modern spring valve soda siphon. You know, like a, like a seltzer bottle. 
You know, like in the Three Stooges when they spritz each other in the face? Exactly like that. Okay. Uh, you know, something that can hold carbonated water at pressure and which you can uh, pour and or spritz out of without depressurizing the whole bottle and also without too much work. Yeah. Don't want to work too hard. No. In 1823, famous scientist Michael Faraday first reported how to liquefy carbon dioxide using high pressure, and Adrien Jean-Pierre Thilorier worked out how to produce solid, solid carbon dioxide, a.k.a. dry ice, in 1835. In another 50 or 60 years, only another 50 or 60 years, some uh, practical commercial soda equipment capitalizing on these methods would be developed. And as carbonated water was seen as beneficial to your health, pharmacists had the same skill set needed to mix health-promoting syrups. Most soda shops were thus situated inside of or attached to drugstores. Yep. One of the most famous examples of these health syrups is sarsaparilla. I wanted to ask you this. Is that how you pronounce it? Sarsaparilla. It does not look like that. Or sarsaparilla. Sarsaparilla. You can say it either way. Well, however you say it, it was a root thought to fix everything from eczema to syphilis. Oh, man, it does not do that. <laughs> no. It just kind of tastes like root beer a little bit. Yeah. Um, another reason for the pharmacist soda connection is taste. Most medicines tasted flat out awful. So to improve it, you'd take your gross tasting medicine to conveniently located soda counter and get it mixed with something to mask that terrible taste. At the time, you already might be mixing it with alcohol, so soda water was promoted as a healthier alternative to that. Uh-huh. However, sometimes drugs the FDA now classifies as narcotics were added to soda water, so... Yeah. yeah, sort of evens out on the alcohol versus narcotic sort of scale. Oh, sure. sure. That's huh. thought to be where the phrase pick-me-up comes from. Oh. Your morning medicinal soda water. <laughs> um, a lot of these drugs came from a class defined in 1855 called Nervines. This class included things like cannabis, opium, heroin, and, of course, cocaine, which was revered as this miraculous cure-all when it was first discovered. Most recipes that called for cocaine used about 0.01 of it, which is a tenth of a line of coke. I read that somewhere. That is not from experience. (laughs) (laughs) I love whatever scientist wrote that in. Yes. So people probably didn't get a massive high from it, but it was still addictive and very different from today's standards. Mm -hmm. Your order might go something like this. One cocaine and caffeine concoction, please, and how? (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. But that was the thing that you might, you might go up in in the morning, and you know, put some pep in your step. I it it would certainly work, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, In 1831, carbonated water was removed from the United States Pharmacopoeia's annual pamphlet, which is a sort of encyclopedia of drug information, which means that. Despite drugstores still being a main source of soda fountains and some concoctions boasting health claims and many people still associating carbonated water with medicine, it was solidly making the switch to a fun times drink. How fun? Socially acceptable fun. Ah. With the temperance movements of the early to mid-1800s, some people, women in particular, were looking for places where they could socialize without the stigma or sometimes the safety issues of places that served alcohol. 
Soda fountains were frequently, you know, bright with these stainless steel counters and white uniformed soda jerks. Soda jerks also <laughs> sometimes faced uh, some hazards. Oh, oh, yeah. At the job, primary, primarily of which uh, the potential for exploding soda fountains or falling into vats of sulfuric acid. Huh. The the the, the term jerk comes from the motion of of the uh, of the handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jerk, you jerk the handle. Alternate names for soda jerks include fountain chemists and licensed. Physicians. Oh, I've never heard that, but I hope that somebody was like happily introducing himself to the potential like <laughs> parents of someone he wanted to marry. <laughs> what do you do, kid? Oh, I'm a licensed physician. <laughs> I'm sure they were very impressed. I think that was more a, a fun slang term than a serious one. But <laughs> at any rate, it was quite fun. Yes. Yeah. You could buy a bottled soda water in the U.S. beginning at 1835. The process was sped up in 1850 with innovations in the machinery used to make and fill the bottles. Steam power helped. Mm-hmm. It's estimated that New York City had more than 670 soda fountains by 1836. And there were so many innovations thanks to soda. The bottling industry alone saw more than 1,500 patents especially with different types of caps. Oh, yeah. Folks were trying to figure out a way to keep those bubbles in, and in 1872, William Painter came up with the first successful solution, the crown cork bottle seal. Soon after, in 1851, ginger ale was invented in Ireland. Ten years later, we get the first use of pop in conjunction with soda. Ah. Mm-hmm. Root beer becomes available in 1876, and by then, nearly every city in the U.S. had a soda fountain. Also, uh, note that recipes like ginger ale and root beer were very common before they were first packaged and sold commercially. Also popular around this time, recipes involving West African cola nut extract. But there were just tons and tons of flavors becoming available, mostly due to advances in artificial flavoring, which developed out of the perfume industry. Everything from, like, banana to violet, walnut, wintergreen, everything else in between. Yeah. In 1874, we saw a patent for the first design of a soda siphon device that can use cartridges of carbon dioxide to carbonate the water in a bottle. This this was the very beginning of soda stream type machines. Soda stream type machines? Soda stream type machines. Ah, and this brings us to a string of famous soda brands. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. 
What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay. In 1885... Charles Alderton came out with an energy drink and brain tonic called Dr. Pepper. And yes, that Dr. Pepper. (laughs) At first, it was only served in the drugstore where Alderton worked in Waco, Texas. Customers used to order it as a Waco. Where where does the name Dr. Pepper come from? Ah, well, the store's owner gave it this name... um, and by the way, the period was done away with it. At first they had a period, but now they don't have it because they don't want you to think an actual doctor was involved. <laughs> but the name is thought to come from the store owner's old boss, one Dr. Pepper. Hmm. I always thought it was linked to the pepper-up thing, but then I realized that that might just be from Harry Potter. Is that a real thing? Oh. Ah, this happens to me all the time. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> pepper didn't become nationally available in until 1904, and after its grand debut to 20 million people at the World's Fair Exposition. It was originally sold as a cure for lots of things, uh, including smoking, alcoholism, and age. <laughs> Drink this Dr. Pepper and cure your age. <laughs> oh, Do you think it makes you more, more mature or less? I don't know if it's fixing your smoking and your alcoholism. Oh, man. I guess... I don't know. (laughs) These are the questions. And here's a fun fact about me. There are about four foods I don't like. And Dr. Pepper might be the very top thing. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. And a friend of mine put this to the test once uh, because she thought I was just being stubborn, (laughs) which is not an unfounded suspicion. Not at all. But she switched my Coke with Dr. Pepper. And... um. I did the spittiest of spit takes and, like, ran to the bathroom and was like, <laughs> gagging. Um, you're, well, you're oh, welcome no. for that noise, by the way. Um, oh. And also, I don't drink soft drinks because the same person dared me to give them up. Oh. And I could see in her eyes she really believed I couldn't do it. 
So it's the above re stubbornness. Oh, anyway. oh I, I love Dr. Pepper. So does everyone in my family. I mean, I, I went through a serious Dr. Pepper phase when I was a kid, but um, mm. I, I don't drink that many sugar drinks anymore, but I still yeah. like it. Uh, also in 1885, a concoction by the name of Moxie Soda appeared. It was a little bit bittersweet and involved sassafras and quinine and was marketed as a wonder drug that would cure everything from paralysis to impotence to softening of the brain. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that means. But uh, but this soda is actually where we get the word moxie from, you know, a slang for like nerve or courage. A popular ad campaign during the 1920s went, what this country needs is plenty of moxie. Ah, it's- <laughs> It's still available in New England. I tried some the last time that I was up there. That's great. I had no idea that that word came from a from a drink. corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of a corporation, the following year in 1886, pharmacist Dr. John Pemberton invented Coca-Cola. And while we still don't know the exact formula for Coca-Cola, we do know that for the first 17 years it did involve cocaine, which Coca-Cola still denies. But everyone else is like, nope, that was in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, funny enough to us now, Pemberton was trying to find a painkiller free of opiates and habit-forming morphine. Ah. He was a veteran. And oh, he came back and sure. wanted like a, a better alternative. Yeah. And he got the idea from a European chemist who combined coca leaves and wine to make something called Vin Mariani. The alcohol in the wine pulled the cocaine from the leaves and it was touted as a restorative beverage. Pemberton took that added cola nut extract and caffeine to make Pemberton's French wine coca. But he hit a roadblock with the temperance movement and prohibition laws, so he replaced the wine with sugar syrup, renaming his new concoction Coca-Cola. The first marketing campaign touted it as a nutrient beverage and tonic. Ah, it's hard to understate the cultural importance of Coke. We could probably do a whole thing on it. But oh, yeah. Yeah, it became this symbol of America. It's one of the most recognizable trademarks in the world. And thanks to their prolific and successful advertising, a lot of people believe they invented our modern-day rendition of Santa Claus. They did not. No, they did not. Also, they changed their slogan every couple of years. (laughs) And here are some of my favorites. The Great National Temperance Beverage, which was the slogan in 1906. (laughs) It had to be good to get where it is in 1926. (laughs) And what you want is a Coke in 1952. And also, finally, 1982's Coke is it! Exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually pretty excellent. If you are interested, I would uh, recommend looking it up. Yeah. To keep costs down, Coca-Cola licensed out the process of mixing the syrup, packaging, and distributing to bottlers. Asa Candler, who founded the Coca-Cola company, didn't realize the potential profits of bottling and sold the rights to Coke's bottling process in 1899 for a relatively low price. Hmm. And uh, the early foray into bottling is one of the main reasons for Coca-Cola's success. We still use this model of bottling and franchising to this day. Oh, wow. Also, it's interesting being in Atlanta and just seeing all these names. Coca-Cola is pretty big around here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of our streets are named after these folks. And one day, we'll have to do a whole episode on syrups and marketing deals and food advertising. Coke has a whole pledge about how, when, and how much they will direct ads to kids, yeah. which I read and was very in-depth. Like, wow. Oh, and definitely the the whole thing about flavoring syrups. It's a, a real challenge to get 
the flavoring of a soda just right due to the kind of uh, chemical uh, shenanigans that are going on in a in a bottle of carbonated water. Yeah. And again, in the world of Coke in Atlanta, at the end, the big draw is there's all of these Cokes from around the world or Coke products, but also just different like flavors, slight, yeah. slight differences Slightly in formulations. Different, and you can t- try all of them. So we'll definitely have to return to that. Yeah. Future date. I've never been, so. <gasps> oh, field trip okay. and an easily accomplished one <laughs> for once. Meanwhile, in 1888, the modern drinking straw was first patented. It was a manila paper tube coated with paraffin wax. We'll have to do a whole episode about straws. Yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of homework from this one. Yeah. In 1893, or possibly 1898, another pharmacist by the name of Caleb Bradham came out with an ener- energy-boosting, digestion-aiding drink called Caleb's Drink. Wait, that Caleb? What? <laughs> Who? <laughs> well, a couple of years later, they took the main ingredient, pepsin, which was an enzyme thought to help with digestion and cola nut extract to rename it Pepsi Cola. Oh, yep. I should have seen it coming. I guess from I should Caleb's have. Caleb's drink. I, I, guess, I guess after Coca Cola yeah. and Dr Pepper, I should have. While Pepsi would later become Coke's main competitor, fluctuations in sugar prices led the company to go bankrupt twice before it was purchased by candy manufacturing company Loft Incorporated. In the 1890s, soda fountains started becoming more and more common internationally, especially in big European cities like London and Paris. This was helped by advances in refrigeration technology during this and the next few decades, making it more possible to serve ice cream drinks and sundaes at soda fountains. Oh, mm. By the time 1902 rolled around, people were increasingly wary of ingesting unregulated substances like cocaine, uh, and I'm sure articles like this Los Angeles Times one titled, They Thirst for Cocaine, Soda Fountain Fiends Multiplying, oh. didn't help. Huh. And so began the phasing out of narcotic ingredients and replacing them with sugar. Like retro- retroactive lols due to everything we've been learning about sugar? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, also, hey, the push for these regulations was sometimes marketed in a really super racist way. Mm. As in like... Black dudes use stuff like cocaine and marijuana and then assault white women while they're high, so we have to ban those substances, which is terrible, and still influences the way that drug laws are written and enforced in the United States, which is even more terrible. Very, that's very awful. Uh, Yay. Sorry. All right. In the 1920s, we start to see the first automatic vending machines, and these things called home packs. Home packs. They are the six-pack cartons used to carry drinks like oh, Coke. okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. The 1920s is also when Coca-Cola started aggressively advertising. Over the next 10 years in the U.S., we shifted further and further away from the soda fountain and more towards enjoying bottles at home or at roadside places once they started becoming more common in the 40s. The repeal of Prohibition wasn't great for soda fountains either. Oh, no. In 1929... Charles Leeper Grigg created a drink that at first contained believed mood-stabilizing drug, lithium citrate. It entered the market with the name Bib Label Lithiated Lemon Lime Soda. <gasps> that Bib Label Lithiated Lemon Lime Soda, you ask? <laughs> who, who approved of this name? I don't know, and they quickly realized that it was a terrible name and changed it to 7-Up. <laughs> I like how, wait... 
There's not even, I was like, seven words? Nobody no. actually knows exactly where the name comes from. There's two prevailing theories, neither of which I find very convincing. But Bib Label Lithiated Lemon Lime Soda. Two seven up. Yeah. Huh. Very different. Yeah. Some of the first ads for it read, it settles the stomach for hospital and home use. Oh. Okay. Great. The Great Depression in the 1930s saw the beginning of the soda value-for-volume race when Pepsi released a 12-ounce Pepsi bottle for the same nickel price as a 6-ounce bottle of Coke. Oh. And Pepsi did a similar thing with the price of syrups at soda fountains. They even had a popular jingle. Pepsi-Cola hits the spot. 12 full ounces. That's a lot. Twice as much for a nickel, too. Pepsi-Cola is the drink for you. Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Coke resisted until 1955 when it came out with 10 and 12-ounce king-size bottles. Uh, Coke's partnership with McDonald's in the 1950s upped the ante, too, from 7-ounce to 16 to 21 ounces in 1974. And there's racism involved in this, too. Yay. Uh Bottlers of Coca-Cola claimed that larger sizes were more suited for people of color. That was one of the reasons they were trying to resist. And when Pepsi won market share in the 1950s, Coca-Cola had an ad campaign to convince white people that the larger bottles were not just for black people anymore. Wow. Anyway, basically, capitalism is why New York has laws banning big gulps. Oh. Yeah, because they just kept being like, well, you can get this much for this much and this much for this much. But eventually you're just driving around in a tank full of Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. Just fill her fill up, please. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, soda was first packaged in cans, tin cans, in the late 1930s. But soda cans would not really take off until aluminum took hold. Along comes Mountain Dew and Fanta in the 1940s. And Coca-Cola set up bottling operations in Europe for the troops stationed there during World War II. Oh, wow. This was a pretty good move because it endeared them. It endeared the brand to soldiers and their families. It set them up to enter the global market. And they cemented themselves as this quintessentially American product. And the soft drink industry is one of the best at advertising. And this became quite apparent after World War II with a slew of celebrity endorsements, movie tie-ins, TV ads, those aforementioned catchy slogans. But when the 60s ushered in a new focus on health and fitness, The industry had to adapt. So how did they do this? They introduced sugar-free, diet, and caffeine-free options. The first no-calorie beverage, no-cal beverage, easy to remember, was introduced in 1952. Aluminum cans came along in 1957. Pull ring tab in 1962. And you could find aluminum cans and vending machines starting in 1965. And then, in 1970, plastic bottles. Ah. Pepsi challenged Coke's dominance once again in the 70s and 80s with their blind taste test ad campaign, the Pepsi Challenge. Coke countered by changing their formula <laughs> to make new Coke in 1985. But as some of you, you will remember, this was a gigantic misstep, and they quickly reversed course. In 1987, we see the formula for Red Bull, but it took until 2001 for energy drinks to really take off in the U.S. And then... More intrigue. Soda intrigue? Soda intrigue. All kinds of intrigue. In 2006, FBI agents in Atlanta, Georgia, they caught two ex-Coke employees and an accomplice attempting to steal and sell Coke trade secrets to rival Pepsi for $1.5 million. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. 
An undercover FBI agent met one of the perpetrators at the airport in Atlanta trading a box of Girl Scout cookies stuffed with $30,000, you know, for an Armani bag (laughs) filled with a a new product sample and confidential documents of Coke's trade secrets. Wow. Pepsi reported this attempt to Coke because they got a tip on their, like, tip hotline. Um, And Pepsi said, competition can be fierce, but it must also be fair and legal. Oh, wow. And then Coke's spokesperson promised that the secret formula was not and is not at risk. And, well, of course it isn't. It's in that huge vault at the World of Coke. We all know that. That's <laughs> what the whole tour is about. You're telling me it's not in there. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, in 2009, SodaStream brand home carbonation machines became widely available in the United States, sparking a fairly huge popularity for that and like devices. Although this is kind of old news to Europe and other parts of the world, the company was actually established in 1903 by a London gin distiller and had been marketing to home consumers since 1955. If you're interested in this kind of thing uh, but don't want to go buy one, there's also a couple DIY instruction manuals uh, kicking around online for creating your own carbonation setup at home, which is a little bit more dangerous but also a bunch cheaper and more flexible uh, if you want to really get extra carbonation into your carbonated water drinks. So weigh out your options there. Proceed with caution. Yes. In the 20-teens, pushback against sugar's negative health effects has led to lots of proposed regulations against soda, and a few that actually passed. In 2016, Philadelphia became the first major American city to pass an anti-soda tax. It adds a little over a cent per ounce, like a cent and a half per ounce, of tax to every ounce of soda that is sold. In France, Hungary, and Mexico, they've got similar taxes, and the U.K. taxes soda makers directly based on the sugar content of their products. Not all of these efforts have been as successful as was hoped. It it does seem that smaller consumer taxes don't really do much good because soda sellers just absorb the cost rather than passing it on to their customers. Mm -hmm. But some of them have been been relatively effective. The, The Mexican tax is pretty high. It's done pretty well. And that U.K. one... I think is is doing sort of okay. Also, over the past 10 years or so, the craft cocktail movement, along with that pushback against big soda, has created a space for handmade sodas to become popular again. And uh, classic soda ingredients, too, like, for example, acid phosphate, which is this partially neutralized acid plus mineral salt combination that was originally used as a cheaper and less perishable substitute for lemon and lime juices because it's sour, but with a twist. (laughs) It's it's, it's a pure, uh, tingly kind of sour, unlike citrus, which has, of course, lots of other flavor compounds involved. A related compound, phosphoric acid, is a component of lots of commercial sodas, but acid phosphate can now be found again behind some bars. Where it belongs. Mm -hmm. That was our history and some modern stuff segment. Um, And so now we got some science for you, a little bit of health. A little bit. Yeah, a couple extra little science carbon dioxide sort of facts around here. So, um, okay, okay, uh, the the foam, the foam of soda. Yeah. The fizz. Mm -hmm. Soda foams up around scoops of ice cream, mints, and basically anything else that you drop into a glass or a bottle because of the way that carbon dioxide bubbles make their exit Mm -hmm. from the liquid. The bubbles in carbonated beverages form or 
seed off of tiny ridges in the container holding them. You might have observed this in a champagne flute or beer glass, or when you drop a sugar cube into a cocktail that contains soda water, or in a glass of soda that has crushed ice or a straw. The bubbles form at particular points where the microstructures of the surfaces that are, you know, hanging out in the liquid are a little bit rough. Stuff like ice cream and mints and sugar cubes are made up of these incredibly complex, very pointy microstructures that give bubbles just a hell of a chances to form. And so form and foam, they do. Oh. Also, a quick health note. This this came up on my Facebook feed one time in a, in a question. Is carbonated water just as good for you as regular water? Is it? Yeah, basically. Oh. I, despite being slightly more acidic than most still water is, carbonated water hydrates you similarly enough to not make any kind of a difference. So if sparkling water encourages you to hydrate more than still water does, go for it. Huh. Unless you're trying to avoid uh, or cure a urinary tract infection or ulcers or any other condition in which you should avoid any extra acid in your diet. Mm-hmm. Other than that, if you like it, drink it. Excellent. Yeah. I have to... I have to admit that I um I don't miss giving up soda soft drinks too often. But sometimes every now and then I have like a dream about <laughs> that first sip. Oh, I know, bite. right? Uh, All I really want is the first sip. It's I know, so and then, strange. And then after that I'm like, oh, someone else take this. Yeah. Guys, <laughs> there's guys. just cans there's so much opened of it. with oh, one yeah. sip taking out all over. Yeah. I, I love that all of the uh non sweetened carbonated waters have been coming out lately with all kinds of weird different flavors. Mm-hmm. I find those lovely. And yeah, I'm convinced that that that, that McDonald's Coke really does, I don't know, like that it's like like fat from the fryer or something like that gets into it and just changes. It's it's so much better in a McDonald's than it is anywhere else. Well that's why I really want to come back to food tie ups, like because McDonald's is one of the reasons McDonald's and Coke, their partnership, that's one of the reasons we have these, like, huge drinks. Yeah. And so I'm just intrigued to kind of look into that. Um, this this episode had so many, like, offshoots in science, just innovations and history of famous people popping up everywhere. Oh, yeah. I, I, I And I kept... I feel a little bit bad. I feel like I didn't do any of the machinery enough justice. I, I don't know. Maybe we need to, like, do a crossover with tech stuff or something like that and get yeah. some of that good soda machinery in there because it's really fascinating. It really is. And very intricate. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many patents and they're all really beautiful. But in the meantime, yes, we've got some listener mail. Woo! Mm-hmm. Scott wrote in on Facebook with a correction for our jelly donut episode. He said, I'm a jelly donut is not about the meaning of Berliner. It's a grammatical point about the word just before it, ein, in English, a or an. If you want to say that you're from a place, you don't use ein or ein, the, the, that's the masculine and feminine forms. He should have said, ich bin Berliner. Berliner grammatically refers to a male person from Berlin, a female Berlinerin. Ein Berliner grammatically refers to the donut. Hmm. So, articles. Huh. I know. That's interesting because so many of the things that I read from reputable sources, <laughs> you would think it would be kind gloss, of a simple thing to... Gloss over that, yeah. Well, they said flat out that it was a myth. Um, and it seems like it would be simple enough. But anyway, thank you 
Yeah. For the correction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, nonetheless, it seems like everyone in Germany understood exactly what was going on. Right. But, yes. Yeah. But no, thank you so much, Scott. Uh, another jelly donut note of extreme cultural importance from Ethan. That was his subject line. This is a bit silly, but my experience with Jelly Donuts is an infamous Americanization of the Pokemon TV show. <laughs> In one episode, Ash's companion Brock refers to rice balls as Jelly Donuts because American kids wouldn't know what rice balls are, presumably. Even though they look like rice balls and they're, I don't know, anyway. Yeah, he sent us the Know Your Meme on it. And yes, they are clearly rice balls. And the caption is, these donuts are great. Jelly filled are my favorite. <laughs> with balls of rice with like seaweed wrapped around them yeah, yeah it's pretty excellent so thank you for sending that ethan yes also joris or perhaps joris i'm so sorry if i'm butchering your name wrote after hearing the not so corny popcorn episode and the link between cinemas and popcorn i felt the urge to share the following factoid with you in all disney parks there's a popcorn concession just as you enter this struck me as odd as europeans usually wouldn't enjoy popcorn in the hot californian or floridian climate but then i heard the reason behind this it's tied into the whole entering the movie concept that walt disney wanted to achieve when you approach the park, you can see some of the larger rides from the outside. This is like the now-showing billboards at classical cinemas. You then buy your tickets and enter the lobby. This is where the popcorn is being sold, so there's usually a distinct popcorn smell. You then pass through a tunnel, usually under the railroad, with posters advertising different rides in the park. This emulates the dimming of the lights in the movie previews. Then you step back into the light and enter Main Street with the castle at the end, and basically you've entered the inside of the movies. As far as I know, this is used everywhere, although I can personally confirm it at the American resorts and in Europe. The Asian ones are still on the wish list. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd never thought of it that way, but it makes complete sense. It really does. And next time I go, I'm going to pay attention to that. Yeah. And appreciate it. Instead of rushing forth to the rides <laughs> like I am want to do. Yes. Well, you've got stuff to do there. You do. You've got a schedule. I know. So thank you to all of them for writing. Yeah. Um, if you would like to write to us, you can do so. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. We're also on Instagram at foodstuff. Thank you so much to our amazing super producer, Dylan Fagan. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Apple Give me a dolphin. 
What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 